This episode of Continuing Mission is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome everyone to another episode of Continuing Mission, our look at the ways in which fans are keeping Star Trek alive. I'm your host, Christopher Jones, and the primary focus of this show is on the fan series, or as I prefer to call them, independent productions, that tell new stories set in the Star Trek universe. Star Trek Continues recently released their third episode, Fairest of Them All, which is a direct follow-up to the original series episode, Mirror Mirror. It tells the story of what happened when the Mirror Landing Party returned to the ISS Enterprise. The attention to detail in set design, costumes, lighting, and even framing of shots is so meticulous that it is easy to forget that you're watching something shot in 2014, not 1967. While the on-screen story is intriguing, what is equally fascinating is everything that happened off-screen to make fairest of them all possible. As fans watching from home, it isn't easy to get a feel for what goes into making an episode like this. But thanks to Condé Nast Entertainment and Wired, now you can. Obsessed, Star Trek Continues is a five-part behind-the-scenes look at our return to the Mirror Universe. Wired describes their series Obsessed as, whether it's recreating detailed Star Trek sets to create a fan-produced web series or piecing together DIY lasers from recycled gadgets. Some people's passions are more than just a hobby. Obsessed highlights what happens when people live out their obsessions to the fullest. In these first five episodes, we get a look at the hard work driven by love, as well as sheer fun, that embodies the cast and crew of Star Trek Continues. And today, we're going to get a first-hand account of the documentary project, the story, impressions of the set, and why Vic Mignogna so perfectly captures the essence of Captain Kirk. To do that, I'm joined by Vic himself, along with director James Kerwin, and from Condé Nast, Michael Prene Isbell. Vic, James, and Michael, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking some time out for us tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having us. It's great to to have you here. So today we're going to talk about both Star Trek Continues and Wired's behind-the-scenes documentary. But before we jump into that, please introduce yourselves to the listeners. And let's start with you, Captain. I I mean, Vic. Hello there. (laughs) Hello there, listeners. Uh, My name is Vic Mignogna. I am... uh, a voice actor for uh, over 200 different anime series and video games. But for the purposes of this interview, uh, I am the executive producer of Star Trek Continues, and I play Captain Kirk, which is, of course, my childhood dream. I'm living the childhood dream, baby. And I tell you, as I told you before we recorded, sometimes I forget when I'm watching Star Trek Continues that that is not... William Shatner up there because you seem such a natural as Captain Kirk. 
Well, thank you, Kristen. As I told you when you said that earlier, um, <laughs> I, you could not give me a greater compliment. I have loved James Kirk and the original series of Star Trek since I was a very young boy, 10, 11 years old. And, uh, and I always dreamed what it would be like to put on a perfect uniform and step onto a perfect bridge and, and play that role. And if you would have told me when I was 10 or 11 or 12 that I would get to do that one day, I would have thought you had escaped from the loony bin. But, uh, but it has become a dream uh, a reality. So um, thank you for that kind word. Yeah, and it's been fantastic. James, you've been on the show before, along with Chris White, to talk about yes. episode three before it came out when you guys were yeah. producing it. Tell everyone what you do on Star Trek Continues. Um, I am a, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a film and theater director in Los Angeles and on Star Trek continues, um, on episode three, I was the director and co-wrote the script with Vic. Excellent. And then Michael, tell everyone how you're involved in this behind the scenes documentary. Well, um, I work for Condé Nast and, uh, my role there is, is mainly technical and, uh, as part of what I was doing, I decided I was going to learn to use the Wacom tablet one day. And I thought, well, I don't really draw. So what am I going to draw that I already know fairly well? And I thought, well, how about Star Trek? I love Star Trek. So I started making sketches of Vic and Scotty and so forth. And I sent them up on Facebook and they went, who are you? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. What are you doing here? And, and so I got to know them. And as I got to know what they were doing, and I, and I saw the first episode, and I went, my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. This is the Star Trek I've been hungry to see, you know, uh, since I was a boy when I first saw Doomsday Machine in black and white on a portable television in my cousin's kitchen. You know, and I thought, this is the Star Trek I've been waiting to see. And so I I reached out and said, well, Vic, look, why don't you come by and talk to us and, and tell us what you're doing? And we tried to get something going in time for the Lou Ferrigno episode because, my God, Lou Ferrigno in green for the first time since the Hulk. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? Um, but right, but but then he told us, well, but we're doing this next thing, and that might be really interesting. And I, I think I, I, I like to think I said I might have said, well, the only thing you could be doing better would be mirror mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually say that, but <laughs> that's what you were thinking. But that's certainly what I thought. That's what I was thinking. And when they came at me and, and told me they were doing this, and and you know, in terms of get just getting something terrific in front of the camera, getting all those great costumes getting the, the doors with the daggers through them, getting, um, you know, um, uh, all the actors, Vic and Grant and Todd and, and you know, so forth in front of Condé cameras. It was an opportunity that we just couldn't pass up. That's awesome. And it's really well done. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I want to see an uncut version of it because <laughs> it is brief uh-huh. and I can only imagine what must you must have on film. Got 30 or 40 hours. Um, Abe wow. Duenas... Got to give him a shout out. He did a, a terrific amount, amount of work. Yes. We took, we took a lot of care to interview people um, who were involved in both the community uh, surrounding the creation of the show, um, the production people, the, the actors. And we also got a lot of behind the scenes footage while they were actually shooting. And you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a lot more to show. And that's one of the things we're talking about. We would love to get a lot more of that footage in front of people. That would be awesome. And I, and I do want to say also, Chris, that now that the episode has officially been released, we've got tons. Uh, we have a great behind the scenes uh, guy, video guy named Don, who took tons 
Uh, I, I looked at him before we shot and I said, dude, I want you to shoot everything all the time. I want to make sure we have plenty of behind the scenes footage. And he did just that. So now that the episode has been released, we have uh, a literal, you know, potpourri full of, uh, of, of options as far as uh, behind the scenes production, making of stuff like that. And you know what, real quick, I need to give a shout out. You know, I have the best production team any any production has ever put together, Chris. Um, my my right hand man, uh, Matt Busey, is my is my dear friend and the greatest DP, the greatest director of photography I've ever seen. And he is the one responsible for being able to use the lighting to make it look as great as it does. Chris White, you know, our AD, Lisa and Tim, our makeup supervisors, Ginger Holly, our wardrobe supervisor, Ralph Miller, sound supervisor. Um, Casey Shafsky, production supervisor, and Mike and John, and the and the gang at, at Starship Farragut, who who uh, who are partners and support us in in the building of the sets and and stuff like that. You know, we've assembled an amazing team, and I'm so so very proud of of the group of people we've got. And James Kerwin was the perfect addition. His personality and his talent. He everyone loves him, and he's competent as well as a great personality. You know, some people are really competent artists, but they're asses, you know what I mean, in person, and they're hard to yeah. get along with. James is a wonderful guy, and at the same time, he's an extremely talented and gifted artisan. And also, Vic, you forgot to say that James has great hair. Thanks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Everyone loves me but two people, but we won't go into that. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> James, let me let me ask you. Last time you were here, we talked a little bit about the sets, and I think we talked about just sort of the infrastructure of it itself. But in the documentary, you talk about when you arrived there that Vic wouldn't let you on the bridge until everything was lit up and yeah. it was really like a live bridge. So, first question: What did you think when you walked on that bridge? Because I know in your mind you could kind of picture what it was going to be, but when you're actually there as a director who who works on these in types of independent productions. What did you think? Um, if you've seen the photos of, of Kevin Smith, who got to visit the set of Star Wars episode seven, and he started tearing up a little bit, uh-huh. that was me. I was just like, oh, no, I got something in my eye here. Um, <laughs> it really was. It, it, it was amazing. I think, I, think that, I think the thing that actually made me tear up a little bit was the transporter room for some reason. I don't know. But, but walking into that and seeing it lit up, just wow. Um, and then I got to walk down the halls and see the bridge. And that was, that was just, it was amazing. <laughs> it's like stepping right onto the set from back then, you know. Let me say, Chris, um, Matt Busey, our DP, is also an extremely gifted architect. He actually has a degree from Harvard in architecture. And when we were talking about building the original soundstage in every detail, Matt Busey took the original soundstage blueprints and using his skills, extrapolated all of the numbers and dimensions of the, off the original soundstage. So everything about those sets is, I would dare say, within inches of what the original soundstage dimensions were. And we also, Matt, Matt Busey is basically Leonardo da Vinci. Mm-hmm. So what, what, we, what literally they needed the, 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 the screens on the bridge, the lights to flash in a certain order. No one knew how to do that. 
Matt didn't know how to do that, so Matt taught himself electrical engineering. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, Matt and taught Matt programmed the LEDs. Yeah. Literally, that's what happened. It actually happened. No, Matt Matt taught Matt Matt taught himself electrical engineering by getting on an airplane with the Harvard Book of Electronics, reading it for six hours, getting <laughs> off the plane, and then programming an Arduino computer to uh, handle the yeah. lights correctly. Yeah. Well, let me yeah let me tell you, let me tell you what happened, Chris. I called Matt one day and I said, look. The lights on the bridge don't flash. We need to figure out a way to make them flash. And and my and Matt said, well, you know what we could do is we could build little foam core partitions that go behind the transparencies and we'll cut little little walls and separate all the partitions to match the the the, the buttons on the front of the transparencies. And then I'll take a board and I'll solder LEDs in just the right place. And so Matt and I, Matt and I made a road trip and we went down there for four days and I built things around the studio. Like I built plantons that went on the wall or I built something in the transporter room or I was working on something while Matt was sitting at a table soldering and and making all of those little square panels that go behind and then they all interconnect and network and you can plug them into a computer and program them to to blink any way you want he's a freaking genius i'm glad you told me that because that was one of the things i wanted to ask you is that in the documentary you talk just briefly about that and then we get this behind the panel like behind the wall scene and we see the lights shining in but then we go on, and I was really wondering, yes, exactly what was involved in yes. setting that up to flash in that way. Yes. Uh, Farragut, Starship Farragut had built the bridge, but there was nothing but light bulbs behind each of those mm. those transparencies. And we had always talked about, you know, when we get into the episode, the lights need to flash. And Matt Busey, was, he's just one of those kind of guys that goes, I, I think I could do that. And he turns out, you know to be a genius at doing it. Well, James, continuing on with when you went on the set, the the next question I had about that was that when you saw it, after you teared up, after you wiped your eyes, what did the set start doing in your mind as a director and as a creative? Did you start to see possibilities that maybe you didn't think would be possible when you were on your way down there? And then once you see it, you're like, now I know what I can do in this episode. Well, um, honestly, not really. I, I mean, I, I kind of like I, I approached this episode because it's such a tight episode and it's such a stylized episode. And we were we, we were so careful about giving it a look like Mirror Mirror did. I went into this saying in, well in advance, I need to like board out my shots and plan everything. And I was so familiar with the original series that I knew what the layout in general was. So I pretty much planned everything like way, way in advance. But then when I got there, there were things that were actually way more accurate, like the briefing room, for example, way more accurate than I thought they would be. <laughs> so it actually opened up more possibilities to That's shoot. That's what I was thinking. And, yeah, and yeah. like a lot of like, like, for example, the, the huge, um, if you've seen the episode, there's a, there's a scene in this, this uh, officer's lounge. We, we kind of reboarded that scene at the last minute because, um, the set was much more complete than I thought it was. So, yeah. Cool. Also, Michael, for you, at the beginning, you talked about maybe the only thing you could be doing better was if you were doing Mirror Mirror. So when you walked on the sets and you're actually aboard this 
down to the finest detail recreation of the ISS Enterprise, what did that set off in the fanboy in you? Right. Well, what happens, if you've seen that episode of Star Trek Next Generation with Scotty, yeah. when people saw the Enterprise Bridge, that was the first time people had seen it for about 20 years, the real mm-hmm. bridge. So Vic said, you're not stepping onto the bridge until I take you there personally. So he walks me down this dark corridor. And the first thing you step onto is the corridor. And there's this moment where you pass into it. And you're not only on a TV set, you're, you're on a, a TV set that is a recreation of the Enterprise. And then that goes away. And then you're on the Enterprise. And that's where you are. You're on the Enterprise. And every adventure they had resonates for you because you see it as you're walking down um, you know, the corridor, turning and looking at the captain's quarters and so forth. Everything that ever happened in those 79 original episodes flashes back through you. And even if you're not thinking of it visually, you're feeling every bit of that as you walk through it. And you know, Chris, a lot of people don't realize this, but the original series sets were all interconnected. Right. They were all tied to the main corridor And one of the, if you watch our original episode, you'll find several shots where we purposefully took camera shots that showed us walking out of one set and into the corridor and out, you know, and into another because we, we went to the trouble to recreate the soundstage exactly as it was laid out in the original series. So once you step onto one end of the corridor and you Uh step into that door, you're in it. I mean, you are in that world until you come out the other end. I'm sorry the listeners can't see Vic talking about this because when he starts talking about the authenticity of the set, his eyes start flashing wildly. That's kind of great. They do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Vic, if we can rewind just a little bit here. Another thing I wanted to ask you, because Star Trek Continues obviously wouldn't be possible without this huge team of devoted people who are helping put it together. But at the head of all this is you. And you already mentioned at the beginning of the show today when you started watching Star Trek and how you got into it as a kid and it's your childhood dream to play Captain Kirk. But you also mentioned that you discovered Star Trek when you were nine years old and your parents got divorced. Right. So I wanted to know what did Star Trek mean to you at that time in your life when you were a child and your parents were separating? And how did what did it mean to you moving forward also as you grew up after that? Well, um, at the risk of revealing too much. Um, my dad was a very absentee father. I, I had no relationship with him. He was there, but he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Uh, golf was everything to my dad. Um, my mom tells me stories about how I would be sitting on the porch with two baseball gloves and a baseball Mm -hmm. waiting for my dad to pull up from work And he would pull up and walk right past me into the house, grab his golf clubs and walk right back out to try to fit nine holes in before dark. Now, I don't remember those, but it's probably, probably there's a good reason why. But um, so when my parents divorced and my mom and I moved out, we moved into this apartment complex in Pittsburgh. um, I remember feeling weird that I didn't miss my dad because I didn't have much of a relationship with him in the first place. But then one day after school, I I turned on the television at five o'clock on channel 11. And, uh, and there was this show and there was this guy 
and he was the captain of this starship and he was strong and 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 driven and dedicated and and brave and and had these friends that he protected and people admired him and looked up to him he was handsome and i i just i don't think it's any accident that a little boy who's whose dad wasn't around would immediately lock on to a guy like that and be like, wow, what wouldn't it be cool for him to be my dad? Or I want to be that kind of guy when I grow up and, and become a, a role model. And so I fell in love with this series for a number of reasons. And that was one of them. Another one was because it really, it really jump started my creativity a lot of things that I never knew I could do that I'd never tried before. I tried for the first time because of Star Trek. Like I'd never built a prop. I'd never tried to replicate something I saw on television, but I wanted so desperately to make a communicator. I wanted so desperately to build a phaser and, and, and to make a uniform and to, and to put gold braid around the sleeves and a black collar. And I got my mom to teach me how to use a sewing machine so I could make my own uniforms and would go to the mall and walk through the fabric stores. 11 years old, and I'm walking through fabric stores looking for just the right color of fabric and, and shiny gold braid to wrap around the, the sleeves. And I, it, it, it literally was like a catalyst that jump-started my creativity. And all of the things I do now professionally, I do because at that point in time, I ventured into unknown territory and tried to build something or tried to make an episode. My parents had an eight millimeter, my mom had an eight millimeter movie camera. They showed some of the of those movie clips in the in the doc in the wired documentary, the very first one. And I would round the kids in the neighborhood up. And I'd play Captain Kirk and I would, you know, I would get them to play the other the other characters. And I would hang a model of the Enterprise in front of a black poster board and move the camera past it and try to shoot, you know, spaceship battles. And so I credit that series with having inspired me to do all the things that I ended up pursuing professionally. So what a wonderful, wonderful full circle to now be using the skills that I've developed over the last 40 years to, to be making, you know, as high a quality homage to my, my childhood passion. And, you know, a wonderful cherry on top, Christopher, is that I've become friends with Bill Shatner from doing a lot of convention appearances with him. We have the same event manager. And the first eight or 10 times I was with Bill, and I'm not talking about in a crowd, I'm talking about having dinner in a private restaurant or sitting in a private room and having a one-on-one personal conversation with him. The first eight or 10 times, I didn't even mention the word Star Trek. Never even said the word Star Trek because I wanted to build a friendship with him. And I did that. And last fall, I was at a convention with Bill and we went out to dinner and had steamed blue crabs and we were in a private room and the moment seemed right. And we were laughing and having a great time. And I leaned over and put my arm around him. I was sitting beside him. He was on, he was on my right. And I leaned over and I said, can I tell you something? And he said, certainly. And I leaned into him and I said, when I was 
10 and 11 years old and my parents divorced, the character that you played on Star Trek became a father figure and a role model, a male role model to me. And I, I've never wanted to weird you out by telling you that, but I, I felt like you needed to know how important you were to me when I was a little boy. And he put his arms on my shoulders and squared off with me face to face, one foot away from my face. And he said, that's extraordinary. Thank you for sharing that, Vic. And I mean, I was, I was 10 years old again. I thought this is insane. I am looking into the eyes of Captain Kirk and his hands are on my shoulders. And I just got to tell him what I always dreamed of telling him. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing story. Wow. Wow. I think my story is more typical for Star Trek fans. I wasn't going to go build a communicator or anything like that. When Vic came to visit us in New York, um, my friend Dave Cook and I were having lunch with Vic. And Vic started doing Jojo Krakow for us. And he did a letter-perfect imitation of it. And, and Dave and I just looked at each other. And we said, we had just been seriously outclassed. We can never call ourselves Star Trek fans again, <laughs> because clearly um, he had taken everything, you know, to uh, to a different uh, level. So, and uh, my my dream was never to be Captain Kirk. My dream was always to be Captain Kirk's friend. And well, here I am today. And you know, Chris, I, I think I I think I mentioned Chris in the documentary. I don't know if I did or not, but not only would I sit in front of the television and and watch the episodes and try to build communicators and phasers, but I would. I would put a cassette player, a cassette recorder by the speaker of the television, and I would record the episode on cassette, and then I would slip the cassette player under my pillow at night and listen to the episodes as I went to sleep. And consequently, I memorized the episodes, like word for word. I could hear the music cues in my head and the sound effects and the inflection with which they delivered the lines. Even now, you know, 40 years later, I still remember those things so well. I only did that with City on the Edge of Forever. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my mom still has the trumpet case that is partitioned oh, really? uh, into three categories for the three seasons of Star Trek. I had the cassette <laughs> I had the cassettes organized in seasons. Nice. Awesome. Oh man, that's great. James, you're helping Vic and everyone else live out this dream of being back on the Enterprise and actually being there and doing it from behind the camera. Tell us a little bit about what this means to you and what how you're approaching it and maybe things that also come from you growing up with Star Trek as well that you're putting into your work as a director. Sure. It's, in, you know, it's interesting to hear Vic tell that story and, and it just shows how similar we are and, and I think why we get along so well when we're doing this project. I grew up with a very similar situation, but with Doctor Who instead of Star Trek. Um, uh, I really wasn't into Star Trek as a kid, but I was absolutely obsessed with Doctor Who. It is what made me decide to be a director. It is what made me creative. It is what made me interested in storytelling. The Doctor that, that really was there at the time that I was little and, and, and getting into this all was Colin Baker, the sixth doctor and his companion, Nicola Bryant. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting them last year after all this time. And I told them personally, and I had very similar experience to what Vic had with Bill Shatner being able to just like tear up and tell them personally how much they meant to me. And it's great. I'm, I'm friends with both of them now. And, and it's, it's, that's really wonderful. So I had that influence me 
as a storyteller slash filmmaker. And then as I got into my teenage and primarily college years, I kind of discovered Star Trek. And while I would say that Doctor Who made me um, want to be a creative person, Star Trek added a level of sophistication, not to knock Doctor Who, but their Star Trek is a, has a level of sophistication to it uh, that, that a lot of the Doctor Who doesn't. So that it made me a very, a, a much more sophisticated, I think, director, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was a great opportunity to be able to, to kind of pay homage to that by coming on and, and, and doing this episode. Very cool. We have a lot of Doctor Who fans in our audience, by the way. So uh, I'm one of them. Thrilled to hear yeah. that. Yeah. I love it. Too, right here. So, Michael, let's move on to the documentary just a little bit because I want to know a little bit more about behind the scenes of that as well. You mentioned earlier that you were trying to get something in the works for Lolani, which was the second episode, but that didn't quite work out. That was a great episode as well, but fairest of them all is. I think the perfect episode for the behind the scenes here. Well, and and that's, that's the candy that proved irresistible. Yeah. yeah. And it was uh, amazing. The number of people from CNE, uh, which is a brand new organization. It's only a year old at Condé Nast. We got 600 million hits last year. And last week we had our billionth uh, hit, which is kind of amazing. Wow. And all kinds of uh, amazing things are happening with them. So I became very interested in fan film in general. And I became very interested in the model of production because, you know, anything that can be done cheaply for the web and look as great as Star Trek continues does is going to have to attract some kind of business interest. So I wanted to bring them in. I wanted to find out what Vic was thinking, how he was doing it, and and so forth. And that conversation turned into, well, let's make a documentary about it because it would make great content. And I I don't know this for a fact. I know we got 8,000 hits on Facebook or 8,000 likes on Facebook within a very short period of time, um, which is an astonishing number, within like a day or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so the reaction was terrific. And the general consensus is that it's some of the best content they've done. Uh, Obviously, we thought Wired was a terrific fit for it. Um, We have a couple of technical brands, Ars Technica and Wired, and it might have fit in with GQ or Details or something like that. But Wired has such a great quality to it of bringing the combination of the pop culture aspect of technology plus the really cool geeky stuff that's really just happening and sort of putting them together and getting them out there. And I was encouraged by the fact that there was a wharf video on a week before we went down to shoot. <laughs> so, so I knew we were on the right track. Well, let me ask you, this is labeled obsessed on the wired at video.wired.com. <laughs> yeah. Now it's obsessed. Oh, I wonder how did you feel when you saw that that word obsessed? How did you feel about it? I'm curious. Well, it probably describes me too. I mean, look, I'm a guy who I publish a network of 16 podcasts that are all about Star Trek and we publish right. two or three shows every single day. So that is probably obsessed with Star Trek, right? So I totally I, I totally got it. So obsessed has two ways. One is a one is a, a kind of pejorative definition, you know, where, oh, that guy's obsessed, we should stay away from him. But obsessed is also what every talented artist is. It's what anybody who has a vision that they they want to bring into reality, it means they're obsessed enough that they're willing to go out and find the people, they're persuasive enough that they're willing to go out. I mean, what kind of a 10-year-old kid goes out and persuades, you know, other people to dress up in Star Trek costumes (laughs) and do, uh, right, and play Star Trek with them? Captain Kirk does. That's right. That's right. Well, that's right. And when you meet Vic, 
the first thing you, Vic, you know, Marty and I were talking, he is Captain Kirk because yeah. he doesn't just play the role in, in a show. He acts the part, yeah. not doesn't act the part. He lives the part, you know, for, for a whole community of people who regard him without mm-hmm. questions. They're later. These people would, will do whatever he asks within reason. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's two things. It's love of Vic, but it's also love of Star Trek. And if we put those two powerful things together. It's an amazing combination. It is. Well, how many people are behind this documentary that you guys put together, the five-part documentary? Well, there was uh, the team down there. We had six people down there. We had me. We had a production assistant, Erica, that, that Vic provided me. There was Abe Duenas, who was down there. There was Sarai, who's his daughter, who has now become well-known for producing, for making her own little Star Trek videos, uh, reviews. Uh, there were Chad, Marty, and Johnny down there. Uh, then when we got back, there were at least three editors I know of, and I was telling Vic, basically a, a little section of Condé Nast post-production turned into the Star Trek Continues department for quite a long time, and a lot of effort was put into making these. Obviously, Condé Nast is all about quality, and so you have to have something great in front of you to shoot, and Vic gave us that. But you also have to have great talented people cutting the thing and telling a great story. And I think we managed to do that too. Oh, you definitely did. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. It's so well put together and it's so, it's so interesting. I was very, very impressed with the production. So I hope you do more of these obsessed and you take it into other fan productions as well, whether they're Star Trek or other things, but things people love that they really put their hearts and souls into. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't work for Wired. I work for Condé Nast. I, I believe the direction for Obsessed is to not just be about fan films, but also about other uh, uh, technology projects and cultural projects that mm-hmm. visionaries are associated with. Cool. It's very. It's very very interesting. Let, let me let me say something else about this whole the whole concept of being obsessed with something. Again, to kind of relate to what what Vic was saying earlier. When I was little, like like, like Vic was talking about. I built the interior TARDIS console room in my basement. I did the same thing Vic did for Doctor Who. I went to fabric stores and got the actual costumes and filmed Doctor Who fan films when I was 11 years old. I did all that stuff. But that level of dedication, yes, it's obsession, but it's also dedication. And that level of dedication to something is what makes, I think, passionate artists and, and it is what has bred the, 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 the people who are doing these kind of projects like Star Trek continues. So it absolutely, like Michael said, it's not a pejorative at all. It's, it's very important. And I, and I think it's, it's, it's critical when, it, when, when you need that kind of dedication to, to your art. Absolutely. James and Vic, while I have both of you together here, I know you collaborated on the story for Fairest of the Mall, this follow-up to the to Mirror Mirror from the original series. Since you're here together, can you tell us a little bit about how that went from its inception to what we saw on the screen? Yeah, I uh, I had worked with James uh, in the past, and I knew him and liked him, and I told him that I had an idea. He had seen, I guess, I guess he had seen uh, the first episode, and and he had told me how much he enjoyed it. I found out that he was a, a Trek fan as well, which is always great to, to find. And uh, I asked him if I could, uh, if we could have lunch. I'd love to sit down with him across the table at a restaurant and tell him my story idea. What's funny is I had told this idea to a couple of other people, writers and people in town, 
because I was looking for somebody to write a script to help basically turn my story into a screenplay. And uh, I had told a couple of other people and they, you know, they wanted to make a big money-making venture out of it. And I was like, well, I'm sorry, that's really not what it is. And so I sat down with James and I, I basically laid out the whole story. Like, this is my idea for the story. It's a continuation of the mirror episode. And this is what happens. And this happens, then then this happens, and then this is how it ends. And and James, you know, was very supportive and he liked the idea. And he basically said, you know what? I'd be happy to help you write this script, but if I write it, I want to direct it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so, uh, so he wrote the script and then he passed it back to me and I gave him some notes and we, we dialogued back and forth about tweaking different areas and tightening it up and sharpening it up. And we went back and forth a few times and pounded it out together as a team. So I came up with the story and then I brought James into it and, and he and I, you know, kicked out the, uh, the screenplay that we did. Yeah. And he did an amazing job directing it. And And it's funny because this is not the first time that uh, Star Trek fan production has asked me to come on board as a writer and or director. I haven't been particularly open to doing it before this. But when I saw Pilgrim of Eternity, I was like, this is not a fan film. And I absolutely want to be on board. Pilgrim of Eternity. This leads to one other question I had for you, Vic, if you have a moment here. Sure. Last time I had Doug Drexler on, we were talking about his cameo in Pilgrim of Eternity. And I wanted to know, we've talked a lot about the sets uh, it, they're in the documentary. We've talked about them here on the show today and in the past as well. The exterior shots of the Enterprise are also critical for making it feel like it was produced in the 60s. And no one does that stuff better than Doug does. No, he doesn't. How important was it when you were thinking about the whole concept to make sure that you got Doug Drexler on board? And then how did that conversation go? Well, let me tell you what happened there because it's a very interesting story. I approached Doug first and foremost and said, this is what we're doing. I would love for you to be a part of it. It's going to be the best quality Star Trek fan production since 1969. And Doug said to me, thank you. I'm too busy. Thanks anyway, but I'm too busy. So I started getting other people. I had another guy who is an extremely accomplished visual effects artist, CGI modeler. He works on big time stuff here in LA. He's big time. He's really good. He created his own enterprise for, for this production. And he was working on shots for Pilgrim of Eternity. We were in post-production. We'd already shot the principal photography. And I asked Doug Drexler if he would play a cameo as a, uh, have gun will travel as paladin mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's another one of his obsessions and right. so he uh, he agreed to do it and i needed some adr from him so after i edited the episode i asked doug if i could come over to his place and record some adr he said sure so i went by his house and by this time i had a rough cut of the episode and i showed it to him and he sat there like this <laughs> just staring at the screen like and he looked at me and he, he looked at me and he said holy shit i had no idea it was going to look this good and then he looked at me and he said i know i turned you down 
And I turn every fan production down. But if you still want me to, I'll be happy to do your ship shots for you. And he did them. And then we got him to come to Phoenix Comic-Con for the premiere of Pilgrim of Eternity. And there were 4,000 people there for the premiere and an autograph line as far as the eye could see. And Doug sat there at the table and enjoyed that. And then Lolani came along and he, he stayed on board and then fairest of them all. And he stayed on board and he wrote me an email two weeks ago after he watched a week and a half ago, after he watched the premiere that I will treasure always. And he said, you know, Vic, you have been true to your word and you've been dependable and honest and everything you've done just gets better and better. And I say no to every other fan production, but I am absolutely honored to be a part of Star Trek Continues. In fact, he called me and asked me if I would list him as an associate producer. So he actually was willing to have his name associated to that degree with Star Trek Continues. That's really something. That's amazing. Great story. Yeah. Vic, if people want to, first of all, Tell us quickly what's next for Star Trek Continues. And then if people want to keep up with the series and with you personally, where should they go to find out more? www.startrekcontinues.com and uh, official Star Trek Continues on Facebook. And I believe Trek Continues on Twitter. Um, We are in full full promotion uh, sharing of the new episode Fairest of them all has only been online two weeks now. It's going gangbusters. And we're finally able to release a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, a lot of the production stuff that we've been sitting on waiting until the episode came out. We're gearing up to shoot our next episode late this year. And, uh, and then we'll probably be launching another Kickstarter toward the end of the year because we raised money in our first Kickstarter to make three episodes. And we did exactly what we said we were going to do. We've made good on that promise, and we'll be making the third of those three at the end of this year, and then it'll be time to uh, to raise money to make more. So anybody out there that likes what they see and would like to help us continue what we're doing, please keep your eyes open for our Kickstarter. You can also donate now right on our website. You can click a button that says Donate Now and help us, and I can assure you on my honor as captain of the Enterprise – that every penny goes to production. Nobody makes one penny of profit. It all goes to, it all goes on screen. Everything you see is on screen. The money, the money goes straight to the production. And for any fans who are going to Star Trek Vegas this year. Yes. Thank you, James. We are screening fairest of them all at the AMC on the Las Vegas strip on Thursday night at midnight. So get there, get there early, get your tickets at the box office early, and you can see it on the big screen. With screen, baby. With five of our actors, Vic, Chris Duin, Michelle Specht, Asia DeMarcos, who played Marlena, Kipley Brown, who played Smith, and myself, all there for a Q&A afterwards, hosted by TrekMovie.com. Awesome. I wish yeah. I were going to Vegas. There you go. I wish I could see that. <laughs> Fantastic. James, what about you? Is there anything you're working on that people need to know about? Where can they find you? Um, well, I, you can find me on jameskerwin.com, uh, James Kerwin on Twitter. I, uh, am, uh, in addition to working on all this promotional stuff for Star Trek continues right now, I have a project in development called RUR, RUR Genesis, a short film that I shot with Vic and Kipley Brown from Star Trek continues and Chase Masterson from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, 
the short film came out uh, late last year. We're developing into a feature right now. You can check that out at rurfilm.com. Awesome. And Michael, what do people want to, of course, go watch Obsessed, go watch the documentary here. Also, anything else that you're working on that people should know about and where they can find you? Well, there are five episodes of the series out there, and you need to go to video.wired.com, and they're all out there. Video.wired.com also has a lot of other terrific content, as do the other video channels for coming Ask. Also, keep an eye peeled because thescene.com, T-H-E-S-C-E-N-E.com, that's a major hub for us of great content um, from all kinds of brands. All our brands plus deals with companies like the Weather Channel, ABC um, News, and so forth. So you really want to take a look at that. We're going to have a lot of great stuff out there. And I'm working on some original series ideas. I'm working on um, writing some great apps. So that's what I'm up to. Awesome. Very good. Well, guys, thanks again for all your time tonight. I really enjoyed the discussion, and I hope everyone else enjoyed learning more about Star Trek Continues and also about Obsession. Thank you so much for having us, Chris. We sure enjoyed it. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing about Star Trek Continues and the documentary by Condé Nast and Wired today. To see these five episodes, go to video.wired.com slash series slash obsessed, and that will take you directly to the index page. From there, you can quickly jump into any of the five episodes. The first one is Catch Vic Mignogna Behind the Scenes. Then there's Take a Sneak Peek at Vic Mignogna's Mirror Mirror Resolution. The third one is Tour the USS Enterprise. The fourth is Meet the Cast and Crew of Star Trek Continues. And then we close out with See How to Build Captain Kirk's Chair. Again, that's video.wired.com slash series slash obsessed. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. So you can click through from the show page on our website. This has been a great look at Star Trek Continues today, but it isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. I mean, to be fair, the commissioner has a point. You know, he's talking about how I think it's millions of lives are are in jeopardy because they need to get this vaccine to them. And Kirk is like, this is a pretty crazy looking nebula. We should probably take a look at that thing. Earl Grey. Sir, there's another starship entering the zone. It's the (laughs) Enterprise! Enterprise! (laughs) (laughs) The Orb. It's never clear, like, is Kostomojan, is that the name of a person from long ago, or is it the name of a group of people? And so you're saying that in the prophet's language, Kostomojan is the name of the paw race. Right, that's what they call the paw race. The ready room. Sean Piller did a great idea. He was 23 years old when he wrote this episode. He solved a problem that the other writers had been struggling with for years. To the journey! Think about how horrible it would be perceived by the audience to see Neelix beaten up ruthlessly. Some people would really enjoy that. That's true. I'm talking about normal people with hearts and souls. Okay, so those people... (laughs) Warp 5. You know, Spock and Tuvok are two Vulcans. And so I feel like if you brought ten more into the room to say that they're all going to be the same is really 
a boring race. Commentary, Trek stars. This means that really now sort of the, the three of us are responsible for really getting the movie to, to, to what it's going to be. And, and there's a thing, okay, what the movie we write is the movie that's going to get made, which is a really cool feeling, actually. Continuing mission. I wanted to tell a small story about people. Uh, I just felt like, let's let's talk about the people. Let's give the people a personality. Let's create a three-dimensional character. Melodic Treks. But J- when J.J. Abrams came on, he was like, just in like casual <laughs> t-shirt and jeans t-shirt and, yeah and because he'd just come from the set of Star Wars yeah literary treks what happened to all of the artificial intelligences where'd they go 70 years had gone by I think by. Kirk killed them all he talked them he all did. to death yeah, yeah he had talked he them, talked them, all, to them death. all to death and that's what else is happening on trek.fm So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You'll find them everywhere that you get your podcasts. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom, BlackBerry, Swell, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and more. Or you can stream from the website and you can grab the RSS link there. If you're in iTunes or on Stitcher, be sure to leave us a star rating and a written review especially now because we're running a special promotion. Reviews are very important to us, not only because we love to hear what you think about the show, but also because they impact how we place in iTunes and on Stitcher. Reviews make it easier for other Star Trek fans to find our shows. But we know that if you're like us, you're listening to podcasts when you're commuting or you're exercising or washing dishes or doing things where you're not right at the keyboard right now, or maybe you're listening at work and you can't stop and leave a review because, well, you're supposed to be working. So we wanted to give you some added incentive to go back when you have a free moment and review the shows. We're giving away some great Star Trek prizes. You can win a season of Star Trek of your choice on Blu-ray or DVD, some Star Trek novels of your choice, an official Starships collection ship from Japan, complete with the Japanese magazine, and also a full collection of our alien art badges, which are original artwork done by Tobu Ushi, who's a great artist. Winners will be drawn at random from all entries received before midnight Pacific time on July 31st, and all you need to do to enter is to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes and or Stitcher. Now, you can only leave one review per show, of course, but you can review the show on both iTunes and on Stitcher, and you can also review any of the other shows that you listen to here on the network. We have 16 shows altogether, and we have the Trek Film Complete Master Feed, which contains every episode of every show we do. That's a 17th feed, and you can review the Master Feed, and that will also count as an entry for you. So there are many chances for you to enter, And there are two steps. First is to leave the review on iTunes and or Stitcher. And the second step is to visit trek.fm slash review and complete the form that you find there. We'll just ask you to tell us who you are, what your usernames are on iTunes and Stitcher so that we can match up your real name with the review, with the name that's left there with your review. Also, which shows you reviewed, whether you left those reviews on iTunes or Stitcher or both, And if it's the iTunes store, which country you left the review in, because that's very important for us as well. We do have to go into each individual country store to check the reviews. So be sure to enter. Again, this runs through midnight Pacific time on July 31st, and we're looking forward to hearing from you. And we thank you for your support. 
If you would like to share your feedback on today's show, I would love to hear from you. There are many ways that you can get in touch with me and the network. You can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. And you can find the network in all of these places. On Twitter, our username is TrekFM. On Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash TrekFM. On Google Plus, we have a community. Just search communities for that. We also have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can send us a voicemail through the website. And we have a contact form at trek.fm slash contact. And that'll come to me by email. We try to make it easy for you to contact us wherever you are. And we would really love to hear from you. Before I let you go, I would also like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, and that is Audible.com. They are the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. They're one of my favorite services, in fact. I've been an Audible customer for 14 years, and I have hundreds of audiobooks in my library right now. I listen to them every day. And as a Trek FM listener, I do have a special offer for you. You can get a free audiobook of your choice along with the trial, to see just how great Audible is. So don't take my word for it. Go try it for yourself and get a free audiobook. If you decide at the end of the trial that Audible's not your thing, you get to keep that audiobook, so there is nothing to lose. But they have so many great books. There are great Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, but books across every genre that you can imagine. Most new books these days come out in audio format at the same time that they come out in hardcover or paperback. So you can pick those up as well. It's a great way to read all of the books that you've always wanted to read, but you never thought you'd have time for. So go give them a try. Audibletrial.com slash Trekafilm is where you need to go. Sign up, get the free book. And by supporting Audible, you're helping us keep continuing mission coming to you each week. The money we get from Audible when you try them out really does mean a lot to us. It makes it possible for us to host and distribute the show. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we thank you for supporting Audible, and we thank Audible for supporting the show and the network. Well, thanks again very much to Vic, James, and Michael for taking some time out for me today to talk about this. And thanks to Condé Nast Entertainment and Wired as well for doing this documentary I loved it. Make sure you go check it out. It's so well done. As we talked about in the show today, I'd love to see some more of the 30 or 40 hours that they shot because what we see in these five episodes is so good. I can only imagine what else we could learn if we could see the whole thing. So I hope they'll do an extended cut one of these days. Put that out there. I would even pay for it. I would love to see it so much. So... I'd pay for it on Blu-ray or whatever you want to put it out on. It would be great to see. So thanks again, Michael and Condé Nast for that. And thanks, Vic and James, for your time. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. And join me again next time on this continuing mission. And let's see what's out there. 